Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Malak Fuad, and this is the first episode of season four of What I Did Next. Welcome to the show. You may already know that the guests on What I Did Next are leaders in their field from across the Middle East. We aim to bring you a diverse group of people each season, showcasing the best and brightest our amazing region has to offer. This season, there's something for everyone. We have entrepreneurs, doctors, designers, journalists, innovators, and much more. We're kicking off the season with an icon of the Middle East's business landscape, Fedi Randour. With his groundbreaking company, Aramex, Fedi has become the poster boy for what a successful Arab entrepreneur is, and Aramex has become the stuff of business school case study legend. In 1997, under Fedi's steady stewardship, Aramex became the first Arab company to list on the Nasdaq, becoming the benchmark against which companies in the region are compared to, even today. While Aramex's track record makes for an amazing story, Fedi has already spoken about this quite extensively over the years. So our focus today is on what Fedi's been doing since leaving Aramex. His primary focus is Wamda Capital, which looks at ways to accelerate entrepreneurship ecosystems throughout the region by funding early stage startups. Fedi is equally committed to giving back to needed communities across the region. His NGO, Rued, brings together underprivileged communities with the private sector to solve problems directly impacting neighborhoods across many countries in the Middle East. If you'd like to unlock more amazing stories from Fedi and learn about the Aramex origin story, as well as more on Rued, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts and listen to the bonus episode out next week. Let's get started, as always, with our icebreaker questions. The first one is a new question for this season. When was the last time you did something for the first time? A bit more than a year ago, uh, right before the pandemic, probably, my son is a filmmaker. And so he was filming his his last uh, feature film. And so I was an extra in the film. Oh, really? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I, I will appear for about, I don't know, 10 seconds. Some people do see me and uh, from the people that saw the film and say, oh, this is Fadi here. But uh, but yes, I was walking among a group and said hello to the star of the movie and continued walking. And uh, and that was a spur of the moment. They said, why don't you do it? I said, oh, why not? So I spent three hours with them just to film 10 seconds. <laughs> and are we going to see a, a, a feature film uh, starring Fadi Randour anytime soon? I doubt that, but uh, <laughs> I think that's one thing I'm not pivoting into. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a fun experience. It's a lot of fun. Let's move on to our second question, which is, are you team Instagram or are you team Twitter? I am not a social media person, so I'm not on Twitter. I, I left Twitter a while back. I am supremely argumentative. I'm uh, not able to sit uh, and continue to argue back on any issues that pop up. So I decided that to keep my sanity and uh, to focus on my things that matter. So I left Twitter, but I'm on Instagram because it's a lot of fun. I get to do, uh, you know, whatever, sh shoot photos and uh, share them with a few bunch of people. Yeah, I'm also on LinkedIn, but that's a business thing because because there's a lot of value yeah. there. Yeah. And Instagram for you is mainly a way to connect with friends or do you follow certain accounts that you're no, interested I, I in? No, follow, I, follow, I follow certain accounts. I'm, I'm, I'm random at it, so I'm not going out and seeking, you know, I want to follow this guy and follow this guy. So there is, I follow news. I'm a news buff. Uh, I, saw, I follow uh, Nat Geo, for instance, because I'm very interested in and what they do, they do fantastic work. Uh, I follow family, I follow friends. I mean, that's uh, that's because it's it's uh, where uh, you know you feel safe and comfortable, and uh, and you get yeah. to see news uh, without having to go into a big discussions. If you could name five accounts, so you named Nat Geo, would there be any others sort of news related or are there maybe some health related ones or? So look, I'll tell you, uh, I'll make it fun for you. So if, if I if I wanted to have uh, probably my dream five uh, uh, follows, I'd, I'd, uh, and if uh, the late Steve Jobs is around, I would follow Steve Jobs. I wouldn't follow too many other entrepreneurs but Steve Jobs is, is unique. I'd follow Leonardo da Vinci if he was around. So he was just an incredible, um, he's not an artist. I mean, he's, he was just an incredible inventor and, and I bet he would be extremely interesting when, you do, when, when he pops up on, on any social media. Uh, uh, I'd follow, well, always family. So always family and, uh, and maybe the Wright brothers, the people that invented flying. Oh, the, the flying, yeah, yeah. I mean, because so they you, kept, I mean, they're entrepreneurs, so they kept trying and failing and trying and failing. And they, I mean, if you can imagine uh, more than 100 years ago, what people felt about these guys uh, saying, well, we're going to fly. I mean, uh, and, and look at the naysayers uh, and how many failures yeah. they had. And then they eventually Absolutely. invented this thing. And it's incredible. I find it interesting that the two two people you 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 highlighted are actual inventors, engineers, um, and so you like the idea that they're creating something new, uh, regardless of their medium. Because I think you think of you you do that as well. I mean, you're you work in in a space where you're trying to create new things. So do you is that is that the attraction of it? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's also my way of compensating for my 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 not being an engineer. So I mean, I mean, these guys changed uh, changed the world. I mean, not many people changed the world. And uh, you know what's most interesting, and specifically during the pandemic, I was fascinated with how they came up with a vaccine, for instance. So people that have this incredible capability. Uh, to affect our lives, a very complicated time. And so, yes, uh, absolutely. I'm only an investor. I, I'm an enabler in some of these people, but uh, it is much more interesting to be in, in uh, actually doing that thing that actually changes people's lives, absolutely. Let's move a little bit into your professional life. Um, 
How old were you when you stepped away from Aramex? I was probably 53 uh, when I, uh, that was in 2012, uh, when I decided not to be a CEO. Uh, and then um, I left the board uh, in 2020, I think. So uh, 40, 36, 37 years after the founding. What was it that made you decide now is time for me to move on? Now is time for me to do something else? Did you already have something in mind as to what you wanted to do next? Or were you uh, needing a break? I mean, what was the, the situation in your mind at the time? Several things, uh, Malak. I was, after 30 years, it was time to step down. It was an institutional uh, organization, already public, uh, already doing well, extremely well. Uh, I had wanted to leave actually three years before, but then the financial crisis hit. And so nobody leaves the, the ship when there is uh, rough seas. Uh, it delayed me, unfortunately, even though even though RMX had done extremely well in the financial crisis because we had no debt and we were able to benefit, actually. I always thought that uh, I needed to uh, have a deep bench, an incredible bunch of people that can uh, actually carry uh, building the business with me. And then when I left, uh, one of them at least could uh, could continue as the CEO of the company. And I, I had a choice of four or five people, if you want. And, uh, and the most important part of it, one, is to prove that there is an institutional process and to show the next generation of Aramex that you can start in the company from the bottom and grow to become a CEO. And the CEO that came after me was somebody that was, it was his first job. So 20 years later, he became CEO. And the one after him, you know, there's three CEOs after me. And the one after him had only Aramex as his job. And the current one uh, had Aramex as his second job. So they all spent 20 years. And how powerful is it to show the people that work in an organization that there's an institution here? It's not, uh, I, it's not a, a business where I, my son inherits me in becoming the CEO. Uh, and so that was part of the ethos and the culture of the company. And I needed to show that it's it's out there. And number two, uh, I, I was uh, I, it was time for me to move. I wasn't doing much, you know, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I was earning a good pay. I was uh, having fun running a 17,000 people business that was successful. Uh, but I wanted to do other stuff. You needed a new challenge, maybe. First. Yeah, I needed a new challenge for sure. But I also uh, felt that uh, the company was ready. Uh, mm -hmm. It was at the peak, if you want. And the team was just supremely capable. It had become an adult. It no longer needed its parent. It was even more than yeah. an adult. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was already my, part of the worry is I wanted to keep it entrepreneurial. So, I mean, I was pushing entrepreneurship. I wanted to make sure that it's not an institutional organization that becomes slow and lazy because it's big. And so you need to push people to be innovate, create, come up with new products. There's challenges out there. The internet uh, and the e-commerce world has created so all sorts of opportunities and challenges for you. So I wanted to make sure that the team was in tune with that. And so they were ready. I was ready. The company was ready. The whole organization was ready. So it was uh, also, I prepared the guy that was uh, that came after me for two years. Uh, 
a very slow process without him knowing. Uh, uh, he was eased into it. And then when I stepped down, it was a natural process. And when it finally did happen, how did it feel to you? Did it feel bittersweet? Did it feel uh, empowering that you were moving on to something else? Or was there a little bit of malaise in you? No, absolutely not. You know, my, 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 I, I, I didn't have that empty feeling. I was still on the board. I was still the largest shareholder. Uh, so I still had my, uh, let's say, my influence in there because I, you know, I was still there in, in many ways, but not day to day. So there was relief yeah. because you know, yeah. running 17,000, 20,000, I mean, I don't know, there was 20,000 people there. It's not, uh, you know, even though you have a big bench, lots of people that are running the organization, but it's still a huge responsibility to run a public company. Yeah. So there was that day to day relief that I don't have to actually do that. But I had already transitioned myself in many ways to doing other things, and I wanted to focus on those. It wasn't fair for me to of do course. other things while I am CEO of, uh, of Aramex. So I was already doing early uh, angel investing in technology. Uh, I was already, the internet was just starting to boom in the region. So it was, you know, poking my curiosity. Uh, I wanted to do stuff. And so, and part of that pivot, uh, Malak, if you talk about pivots, is that Unfortunately, I moved very quickly into the next thing. I, I would, it would have been nice now, I think about it. It would have been nice to, for me to take a long break. I didn't take any break. I, I effectively jumped from one to the other very quickly and immediately. But that was the state of, of the market, the state of the region. And what, when you're looking back at that now and you're saying you wish you had taken a break, why do you wish you had taken that break? Uh, I, I got busier when I left Aramex than when I was in Aramex. <laughs> And so investing in early stage companies is heavy weight lifting. Uh, so young entrepreneurs, they need a lot of attention, a lot of mentoring, a lot of carrying, a lot of connections, networking, etc. It's uh, it's heavy. Uh, I enjoy yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's my thing. Yeah. But it's uh, I would have it would have been nice for me to to take a breather. But uh, look uh, at this, uh, you know, looking back is always uh, some, you know, of course, uh, is... we can always, you know, everything is 2020 vision in hindsight. And this is when you created Wamda, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, the Wamda, the venture fund uh, we had created before Wamda something called Mina Venture Investments, which was. Uh, the angel investing arm that uh, I was using to invest in, in the technology companies in the region. And then eventually we created the WAMDA, the, the, the fund, uh, uh, around a couple of years after that to become an institutional investing process effectively. And, and is that what takes up most of your time now? or is Completely. It... I mean, that's, that's yeah. what I do. That's where I focus. What is it that you're uh, focused on in terms of investments through WAMDA? Is it mainly tech-related or is it across the board w with tech as the sort of the medium? Look, anything that's, that has... There's nothing in the world today that doesn't have tech in it uh, as such. So, fair enough, fair enough. And so and so we're, we're in everything tech and we continue to be early stage. So we, we like... I like early stage. Early stage means seed. You know, a company after a year of the founders putting themselves together and, and coming up with, with a bit of technology that actually solves a problem. And so we like seed and we like to carry through with them post seed and, and help them in building the business. That's that's the core competence. Again, it's still the most difficult part of investing, but it's where we feel comfortable and where I feel I, I can add the most value.
And is it always Middle Eastern based companies or is it global? Core Middle East. And so Middle East Core is, Middle East. let me define. So we like the wider region. So the Arab world is at the core. And then there's Turkey, which is a fantastic market. There's East Africa and some African, you know, Africa is rising. And there's a Absolutely. bit of South Asia. Uh, but the core is is the Arab world. I, I, I like to use the word Arab world rather than Middle East because the Middle East has other stuff yeah. in it. <laughs> so tell me, Ferdi, so I, I mean, obviously looking back, uh, Aramex was the pivot. You know, starting Aramex was a massive uh, kickstart to, to your career. But obviously at the time it's not seen that way. But now when you look back on it, it is. Uh, what other sort of uh, pivots, apart from what we're going to discuss going forward now, um, when you were a younger man, uh, did you find, did you come across? Look, I mean, I think my life is a series of pivots. Everybody's life is a series of pivots. But we are, uh, uh, we are in a family that has had several uh, uh, events that created uh, uh, us of who we are today. So we, you know, we're originally Lebanese. We were. I was born in Beirut. Uh, my father uh, was uh, involved in, in politics. Uh, he had to, we came to Jordan as uh, political refugees. He did. So so that's a pivot. And so we moved from Lebanon to Jordan. How old were you, Fadi, then? I was three. I mean, so I don't have a history there, uh, but I have a history in Jordan. So I wouldn't have ended up in Jordan if it wasn't for that. And eventually, when I went to the university, I was planning to study engineering, and I ended up studying politics, and that's a pivot. And I think I'm thankful for that in, in ways, in many ways, because it allowed me to also to understand the world and, that, and how, uh, and its complexities from, from the angle of history and politics. And, you know, we live in a region that is, at the core of it, is that. And so I got to understand our region. I got to understand the world we live in. I got to understand the political issues because we came from a political family. Um, but as you go to study it, so you, 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 my eyes were open to the issues uh, uh, that were there. So that was, you know, in many ways, luckily uh, a pivot because I, I, uh, that affected me as I've gone along in, in, in the rest of my career. And uh, it affected the way I understood how to build the business in the region because I understood the complexities of the politics of the region. Then when I went to the U.S. to study, I really got immersed in the political uh, issues of the Arab-Israeli conflict, of pan-Arabism, of also of Ba'athism, of all sorts of competition among the Arab countries. And... You know, that benefited me, that general information benefited me tremendously in, in understanding the landscape of, of how to build the business in the region. I think having an education in politics also is a very good uh, foundation for running a business because you have to learn to persuade, you have to learn how to make an argument, you become a salesman of some kind, um, and it's a very important tool, I think, anyway. Completely. I mean, I, I'll tell you one experience that I always talk about is... You know, for us, the Palestinian cause was always a cause of justice. But uh, when you go to the U.S., you have to argue the, the, the issues. You can't say, you know, it's just just and we, the land is ours and whatever. And then you suddenly face all sorts of new things. And so you have to learn everything that you need to learn about it so that you can argue it back. And it's, it's a Absolutely. huge lesson, huge lesson Absolutely. for anything Absolutely. that you are doing in life. 
When we come back, we'll get into Fetty's other interests with his commitment to the NGO Rued. That's right after this short break. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome back. I'm Malak Fouad, and you're listening to What I Did Next, and this is my conversation with Fadi Randour. Explain to me a little bit uh, your other, sort of the other hat you wear, which is your involvement with Rowed. Uh, I know that uh, Rowed is a, it's a community empowerment platform and it's operating in Lebanon and Jordan and Egypt and Palestine. And it's helping underprivileged communities, marginalized communities through their youth. Right. It seems very much to me that your, um, your approach to giving back is entrepreneurial based as well which it's to me is a very um, sort of smart way of, of bridging different um, worlds and uh, allowing, um, you know, the, the private sector to, to really be involved and not having to rely on government for all of this when the governments are, are struggling with, with so much already. So give me a sense of, of, of what your philosophy is with this organization. Thank you for that question, uh, Malak. It's it's uh, you know it's essential uh, that that uh, you know uh, as I talk about what I do is that reward is is also at the core of it because look the reward philosophy if you want is about marginalization uh, in its wider context. What does that mean? So I feel uh, us in the private sector, the entrepreneurial community, the people that are capable and can affect change are also marginalized. We've put ourselves outside of the development uh, uh, structure in our own countries, meaning some of us will participate. So I'm, 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 I'm generalizing a bit here, but that's, but that's okay. I mean, that's for emphasis. And so we've put ourselves outside of the formula, meaning we've abdicated our role. Uh, and it's not only in the region, that's a global story. You know, what is the role of businesses? What's the role of entrepreneurs? Is the business itself, while it is operating, uh, has a social impact uh, 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 angle to it or or is it only responsible to its shareholders and it wants to make profit? So my argument is that we are both marginalized. We've marginalized ourselves from the process and the people that are living on the margins are living on the margins. They feel that they're forgotten. We self-inflicted this marginalization and the people that live on the margins, uh, the world forgot them. So my argument is, how do we demarginalize both? How do we bring the private sector, the entrepreneurial community that has networks, that has capital, that has access, that has knowledge, that has jobs? I mean, private sector has so many things uh, at its fingertips. It's not only about money. It's about uh, impact in general, in, in, in society, uh, in its wider level. Uh, how do we step into these areas where in our own countries, where we feel passionate, I mean, these are our citizens, our brothers, our sisters. Uh, these are the people of our country. And so if we're concerned about our country in general, we have to step in and actually work with these people. So one, there is a sense of community among both parts. 
And number two, to work with them in partnership. This is not charity. This is not me saying, I feel sorry for you and I want to help you. This is me saying, look, I'm very capable. I have capabilities. You also have capabilities. You also have challenges. Let me bring my own capabilities, partner with you and see how I'm going to help you solve the challenges that you face on your day-to-day -day basis. So if you look at what we did in Jordan, which is our biggest operation and where we launched our uh, our uh, reward. So it was also part of Aramex, you know, by the way, Aramex is social responsibility because we believe in the concept that I had just explained to you. We said Aramex is not going to have uh, a CSR program. We want to be immersed. I know you don't like the CSR label and rightly so, because I know you, you feel it's a a sort of a PR stunt. And I think a lot of companies do use it that way. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, you know, it's nice that they want to use it. It will have some impact here and there. But, uh, you know, for me, it's if you want to have, have it part of the culture of the organization, then you get everyone in the organization to participate in it. Even until today, the RMX people are immersed in training these young people in our communities on business uh, practices, uh, uh, helping them in, in whatever, giving them internships, etc., etc. So there is a participatory uh, a process where the organization actually uh, feels that it has that impact on society and on the community that it lives in. Mm -hmm. So if I want to go back to uh, what I was just explaining on, on what we've done in Jordan, when we entered Jabal al-Nadif, which is in, in, at the heart of Amman, East Amman in Jordan, we basically sat with the elders of the community in Jabal al-Nadif and said, how can we help you? And for them, you know, we were aliens in the beginning. You know, wh who are you? Who are these private sector people that are coming into us and wanting to do things? We don't trust you. Or we don't believe what you're saying. But uh, but then, we, uh, you know, after a discussion, we said, OK, let share with us your challenges. So they wanted schools to be fixed. There was no post office. There was no bus station. There was no clinic. There was no police station. There was no community center, etc., etc. So what do we do in the private sector, the entrepreneurial community? Because who we, because it is who we are. Because we understand that when you talk about challenges in the market, you actually have to deliver on them. So we said to them, look, your challenges are going to be resolved in the next 12 months. So community center, clinic, uh, uh, scholarships to your kids, et cetera, et cetera. And so we delivered. We delivered on everything that we did. And the amount of trust that we got from the community for people who put their money where their mouth is, put their action where their mouth is, was incredible because it was unique. That sort of project, you bring in different companies to uh, take on those specific elements for example yes. uh, one company will come in and and uh, and fix the sewage system one company will come in and provide the scholarship how, how does it work so, on the ground so we're a holistic organization and we're an open platform so initially for instance fixing the school we brought a contractor to fix the school we we were responsible so he wasn't we we owned every project uh, one of our friends who builds furniture for schools actually built uh, furniture for school. We had other friends who have a painting company, so they came in and painted the, uh, the school, etc. We partnered with the, uh, we fixed five schools in the beginning in that community. Uh, in the clinic, we built the clinic ourselves and then went to the Ministry of Health because we have access, obviously, and the Ministry of Health eventually manned it. 
So we we told them what is the what is the best way to build the clinic. They said you need these equipment. We bought everything and told the Ministry of Health you don't have to spend money, but you need a doctor over there. So and why do they need the Ministry of Health? Because the Ministry of Health can give you access to the uh, hospital system of government. We couldn't have managed of course, privately. Of course. And so the post office, we went to the post office organization and said to them, there is no post office in the community. Can we build it? But you man it. And people need the post office because they get paid the government subsidy every course, year, not because course, there is letters, but there's the, they distribute uh, the, the monthly checks for people that are poorest of the poor out of post offices. Yeah. And so, uh, and that's it. And building the community center, we built it. We brought a contractor. It was our cost and the community center is built there. On the scholarship side, so the core of our program is a youth-enabled program. So we give scholarships for youth to come back and give community work. So it's not, it's a, you, they give me their time and uh, we give them their scholarship. And why do we yeah, do that? Yeah. Because this is a this is it's a character building process. Uh, of course. Because this prepares for the real world. So come find projects, fix things in the community. It's your community. It's ho- your home. It's your streets. And so and so there is this incredible partnership. This is our seventeenth year, by the way, in Jordan. We have three centers already across the country. And, and we love what we do. And is it different in each country? I mean, you're dealing with different challenges in each place. So you're obviously tailoring what's needed uh, for each country. Uh, do you then uh, approach local uh, entrepreneurs, local companies to try and fill those gaps, solve those issues? Totally. So in Egypt, for instance, there is no need, the, the youth, we're in Izbet Khairallah in Egypt, one of the Al-Ashwa'iyat, uh, if you want. Uh, we, we've been there for, I don't know, 10 years already. It was, part, again, it was Aramex doing it. And I, I partner with Aramex today. So the Aramex finances, I partner with Aramex and we find local friends from the business community to participate with us, just like in Jordan. I mean, that's the model. And so yes. in, in Egypt, we, we do more for, uh, uh, we have a computer center there to, to teach uh, the youth programming. Uh, we the, uh, we have a language center because the students there the, there's no cost to for you to go to university so they want more practical skills and they, some of them don't want to go to the university so I'm not mm-hmm, mm-hmm, there is mm-hmm. no copy and paste you have to customize yeah. and adapt to of the course. local challenge and we have to partner with local with the local community so in we, we in Izbet Khairallah we had to find the local uh, uh, umda if you want uh, the local guy that gives you comfort chief because chief yeah if i go to uh, Izbet Khairallah they'll, they'll definitely not like they're going to laugh they're going to laugh <laughs> they laugh and they say you know i'm also jordanian right so i mean who's this jordanian coming to egypt to do stuff we we and the, and the accent mushayfamuha yeah. and then we launched before the arab spring and so there was politics in it as you know and so sure, also, sure, but sure. we 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 continue to be there. We have a community center, and and it's fantastic. In Palestine, it's a bit different. We work in villages that are marginalized, and but the same the same concept. You always have to yes. give back in the community, your uh, your community service, mm-hmm. your volunteering work. Uh, and so we're in three uh, villages in in Palestine, in Lebanon. We're we're in Tripoli in the north. And we do exactly like we do in, uh, in in Jordan, but there's also a conflict because there are different sects over there, and they compete. Mm, mm, but when mm. they come to our community, they they see the commonalities among them rather than competing outside. So there is an element of creating harmony in the community 
when when there is no co- harmony outside the community. So we feel that yes. we are making an impact there among the youth. I think what Ferdi and the team at Rwanda are doing is quite incredible. There's a little more about this and the impact they've created on our bonus episode for members, which comes out next week. When we come back, we'll get to know Ferdi a bit more personally. Stay with us. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about our bonus episodes, available exclusively for subscribers. On each bonus episode, I take a deeper dive into my guests' industries, and I share some extra parts from our conversation. For example, actor and comedian Rami Youssef told me about his thoughts on cancel culture, and ex-anchor and now author Hela Gorani told me her thoughts on the future of journalism. All of these great stories are only available on our bonus episodes, so subscribe now to unlock this amazing extra content. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts by clicking the subscribe button or on our website and get instant access to all our bonus episodes with a two-week free trial. And now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Malak Fouad and you're listening to What I Did Next and this is my chat with Fadi Randour. I want to shift a little bit to some slightly more lighter uh, areas. Sure. Um, we've spoken a lot so far about your work and your career uh, and your business life. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, yourself in the sense of how do you relax? What are your hobbies? Have you learned something over the years purely for the fun of it uh, that is not uh, something that's necessarily going to impact your work life, but just something that you're interested in and you've wanted to excel in it just for the sake of that? Has there been any, have you had time, first of all, for that? <laughs> that's that's a big question. So look, I, I make time for things. I am I am supremely disciplined. In, in how I manage my time uh, from even even when in my busiest days, I, for instance, never skip exercising. So I'm a swimmer. I spent my life, uh, one, I was in, in the Jordanian swimming team, national swimming team back in the mid 70s, uh, late 70s. Uh, I continued swimming all through. I swam for uh, George Washington University in my freshman year. And that was my thing until I ruined my shoulder. I eventually, when you ruin your shoulder, and you're only as good at swimming, you, you have to be innovative again to discover what you can do. I definitely was never a runner because my knees were terrible. And so I ended up, uh, uh, you know, I'm back to swimming now, but I am also a cyclist. So I cycle, I enjoy, I love cycling now. And do you cycle uh, on in place or do you actually go out on the road? We go out now. You know, I live in Dubai and I am. we are blessed in Dubai in having long, long cycling routes very safe cycling routes. So I love that. And that's seven months of the year. Uh, the, the heat is bearable and, and I love it. And wherever I, I go and I'm cap- I was in London last week, by the way, and I would go and, and rent one of these bikes and, and go around the yeah. Hyde Park for yeah, an hour yeah. just to make sure that I'm exercising, even though the bikes are not fantastic, but they're, they, they do the job. <laughs> Absolutely. And for you, because I'm a swimmer as well, for me, swimming is is my version of meditation. Totally. Uh, I It's where I think, it's totally. where I, I regroup, um, and I come out feeling invigorated. I mean, is that how you, how, totally, how, is that man. the effect it has for you? Completely. I've, I've you know, I, I have friends that meditate and I've, I've you know, because I, you know, I, I'm, I've been doing this since, what, 50 years now. 
And so I tell people, I'm, I know what you're talking about because I experience it. I have, you know, incredible listening to the voice of your breathing. Yeah. And um, you, you get into a trance after a while. And I'm yeah, a long distance exactly. swimmer, right? So I'm a long yeah. distance swimmer. I have competed in, in, in Turkey uh, crossing the Bosphorus six, six miles. I did it three times. Wow, that's amazing. So I am, uh, and being a long distance swimmer, you go into a trance. You have to go Absolutely. Into a so your breathing, eventually your repetitive breathing gets, gets you to a place where your mind wanders. Yeah. So sometimes I say, I want to see, you know, because sometimes I forget what I was thinking about. It's like a dream, yeah. right? And sometimes yeah. I say, how can I remember what I'm thinking about? I find solutions. I discover sometimes yeah. when I, I have speeches to do and I'm swimming, I discover everything I want to say while uh, I'm swimming. Absolutely. Um, you almost wish you had a notepad as you're swimming. Completely. And I tried, <laughs> you know, I used to have, uh, I had this music thing, but it doesn't work. You know, it, it ruins, yeah, it ruins the experience. Yeah. Uh, and I'm also a diver, so everything around around the sea is water. Is water, yeah. and I am. And what's your favorite stroke? Since you are, I'm, a, I'm a freestyle swimmer, and ah, uh, right. I'm a okay. freestyle swimmer, uh, and uh, since you're Egyptian, I have to tell you that I have been doing uh, the southern uh, Sinai all the way to, to the Sudanese border for hmm. years. Go down, take a, a boat, a liverboard with yeah. my two sons and some friends. And we spend, uh, I, I am, you know, if you will tell me what I would want to do uh, continuously in my life is to be able to swim and do the diving because the, the yeah. underwater, if you, are, if you experience the Red Sea, and I don't go anywhere else. No, I'm not curious to go around the world seeking because the Red Sea is right next door. And what it has, the, the colors, the fish, the beauty of it is just incredible and so relaxed. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it's talking of you obviously are a big diver and a big swimmer. What do you have things on your bucket list that you've kind of thought of? I must get to this or I really want to do this or I, you know, I want to be a fantastic chess player or um, I want to read the complete works of Shakespeare. No, I'm, I'm a reader. What is it? I'm a reader, Malak. I'm more a listener than a reader now. So I'm, I'm terrible yeah, at, yeah. At, at finishing books. On Audible and things I am, like that. I, am, yeah. I consume a lot of audiobooks. I've mostly history, politics, and business. Unfortunately, boring stuff, but I am consumed in it. I, 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 love, I love that, uh, that part of, of my life. I've always done it also. So I always have time for it also. And this is where when I'm cycling, where I'm walking, when I'm doing stuff in the gym, I'm listening to books and listening to stories. Uh, uh, I am also, let me, let me tell you something which, which you don't know about Aramex. There is a, seri a series of things that we've done at Aramex that continue to live today. For Aramex, for instance, Aramex owns and has owned a basketball club for the past 30 years. One of the premier basketball clubs in Jordan uh, is... Owned. We invented the story of having a private sector company own basketball, completely not for profit. So, and we have a youth program for six-year-olds all the way to men's and women's teams. We reintroduced women basketball to Jordan yeah, uh, back yeah. then, and we won national championships. So I'm also and why basketball, Fadi? I'm passionate. Why basketball? I'm, I'm a basketball ah, okay. <laughs> uh, one of my best friends who worked with me in Aramex has a Malhas is a basketball player. So the first social, if you want, responsibility act uh, of Aramex was yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having that basketball program, which continues until today, 
it had had incredible impact because of its little league element. So we have hundreds of mm-hmm. little kids that mm-hmm. their parents bring them over, etc. So I am passionate about basketball, Khasatan, uh, you know, U.S. Uh, NBA and college basketball. I continue to be passionate about. It. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's. So you say I have hobbies. So I sit sometime. I wake up very early to watch U.S. basketball five five a.m. <laughs> and I end up watching the last half of a of a of a basketball game mm-hmm. in the U.S. So that's. I do find time to do stuff, yes. And the, and the day yeah, is long. Yeah. There's 24 hours. The day is long. I'm not a big sleeper. You're not a big sleeper, clearly. Well, Fadi, in closing, uh, we're, get, we're coming to the end. I just want to think a little bit with you. If you were to look back and think, okay, my legacy will be, and I don't want you to think necessarily in terms of, oh, Aramex, one word. or How do you see the, the, the mix of all those years and all those experiences that you've had? So, Malak, uh, if, in, 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 in the simplest terms, I would say if, if somebody wants to remember me, they'd say this guy is an entrepreneur that actually uh, did what he said he would do. Uh, if I said I want to be engaged in the community, I was. If I said I wanted to be a mentor, I was. If I said I wanted to leave uh, the organization that I built, uh, I did. If I wanted to... Uh, uh, if, if, if I had said that impact matters for the private sector, then then that's my legacy. I mm-hmm. it's a legacy of of action, words completely married to action. That's that's who I am, and that's how I'd like to be remembered. Well, Fadi, thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure talking to you, and um, I thought I knew, having read and listened to interviews with you, having you know, I thought I knew quite a bit about you, but I clearly didn't because I loved all this sort of the swimming and all the all the hobby elements. So that was really, really great. Thank, thank you, you so very much, Fadi. Thank you, Malak. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed the show, we've got a little bit more from Fadi in a bonus episode exclusively for our members, which comes out next week. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts to get this and other bonus material throughout the season. Plus, you'll get early access to our next episode as well. This episode of What I Did Next was brought to you by ANT Media with me, Malak Fuad, and is co-produced by Shirag Desai. You can follow us on social media for video snippets from our interviews and other updates. Just search for What I Did Next on Instagram, Twitter, and on LinkedIn as well. We'd be grateful if you could take the time to leave a review of the episode in your favorite podcast player. See you soon.